Profit is necessary, as you, as you mentioned. Profit is not oxygen. We don't have to have profit. We can go without profit for a year and still live. We can't go without oxygen for a year and still live, right? So that's not what we want to do. We want to make a profit. What is our oxygen as people? Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. When I think of that phrase, impact-driven leader, there are a few faces that instantly come to mind. And one of those faces is Herb Sargent. Herb is the CEO of Sargent Corporation. They are a full-service contractor that does excavation and infrastructure projects with hundreds of team members spread across multiple states in the Northeast. And the work that they do and the projects that they invest in are really remarkable in terms of scale and scope. But even more impressive than the work that they do is the way that they do the work. Uh, I just got to spend a full day with Herb and their office team here in Maine, focused on our team training, really honing in on ideas surrounding personal growth, healthy communication, healthy accountability. And my wife, Aspen, and I were just absolutely blown away at the level of hospitality, uh, the level of intentionality, and the level of purpose that is woven across their new office building, but even more than that, that is woven into every single interaction. It really is a hallmark of what it means to be an impact-driven business. And here's what I'm so excited about. Herb is a really active member within the Path for Growth community. He's one of our one-on-one customers. In addition to that, he's a regular attendee and contributor to our weekly office hours conversations with impact-driven leaders. And he's come to one of our experiences before, and he's coming back to our leading leaders experience in Asheville, North Carolina this October. Uh, and we asked him, man, would it be possible for us to do a session with you really focused on the idea of business as a vehicle for developing people? Because that's one of the things that Sargent does as well as any company I've ever seen. And he said yes. So we're actually working on what that session is going to look like in North Carolina as we speak. But given that we had time together here in person and given that they've got an incredible studio for us to record from here on site, I really wanted to begin exploring some of the topics that we're going to get into in Asheville. And so this is a really fun conversation. It's a really valuable conversation that gets into topics like organizational structure, ownership mentality, leadership development, and that all-important topic of business as a vehicle for developing and building people. Here we go. Well, Herb, so stoked about this. I think the way- I'd Glad like, to be here. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast studio. The, the Flywheel Studio. Yes. For those of you that are listening, uh, we get to record this in Herb's fairly new podcast studio. Yeah. About a month old. We've got his, would it be producer? Would it be marketing director? Sure. I'll, I'll be all of the above. Okay. Or, you know, have guy who hangs out in the corner. Sebastian Benage, he keeps us straight. Yeah. He's in here helping us run things. Y'all have- created a, a beautiful space for this conversation. I don't think you created it just for this conversation, correct? Uh, we, we were looking beyond this one, yes. Yeah, so they run their own podcast, but man, can you describe a little bit of what went in this room so people have an idea of where we're sitting right now, Herb? Okay, so we're at, uh, at Sargent Corporation in Orono, Maine, and um, this is our little podcast studio that's part of a new office that we built uh, and moved into this past winter. And we just wanted a place where people could feel more comfortable than being at a table, almost like you're being interrogated. So, <laughs> so this is, you know, we've got some nice chairs in here. I mean, we didn't spend a ton of money. I think this whole thing was about $10,000 that we spent in here on the studio. And, and uh, it smells like nice, clean, fresh roughs on pine. Right. I love it. I I feel like the, uh, I think it's an anchorman quote, smells of rich mahogany yeah. is appropriate. Yeah, it, but it's not. It's it's actually aged corrugated metal is what it is. <laughs> I like it. So that's what's going so, on. So we have it aged corrugated metal up to the chair rail height and then sawn pine from there. And then a number of photos uh, from, from our work, both more recent years and uh, some, some historic photos here. Because as you know, Alex, we've been in business. It'll be hundred years in 2026. 
Unreal. You seem to really enjoy not saying we've been in business 97 years. You seem to really enjoy saying we will have been in business 100 years. You're looking forward to that day, aren't well, you? Well, you know, people think I started the business. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to that day. I think it's going to be a time to celebrate for a company, but I, I don't want to get too much caught up in the celebration because I'm, what we're really thinking more about now is not our hundredth anniversary, but our 200th anniversary. In, in a lot of ways, we feel like we're, we go to work every day th- working for people that aren't even born yet. Not to jump right into the middle of things. <laughs> Golly, we were already, I wasn't thinking we would be talking about the unborn until at least 30 minutes in, yeah, but right. you just, you Sorry. just took us straight to the deep end. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that actually ties into a lot of what I think would be most helpful to talk about. I mean, you know, our audience, you're part of the Path for Growth community, which is the most visceral example of this, but we also think about this as the larger podcast audience as well. Like our ideal customer is the impact driven leader. Right. And, and so they're a leader of people that is really driven by the opportunity to make a difference or make an impact. And in so many ways, the people that we work with, they represent a wide variety of industries. We, we work with a lot of construction companies. We work with veterinary hospitals. We work with marketing firms. Uh, we work with charter schools, right? It, it kind of runs the gamut in terms of industries. But really, I think the thing, and you could probably speak to this too, the thing that especially in the Path for Growth community, everyone has in common is everyone kind of views their business as a vehicle to make a difference. Yeah, and it should. I mean, in in my opinion, it should be viewed as a as a vehicle to make a difference for your customers, but also for your employees. And and I just want to real quickly say, on this path for growth, you have the, the uh, office hours, and just so enjoy that. And sometimes I'm just you know I'm I'm standing in the corner with a lampshade on my head, and that's all right with me. But, you know, I don't have any pressing problem to bring or whatever. But to just be on that on that call. And I think I posted on, on the chat one day, I said, you know, wow, what a great opportunity for people, you know, to, to bring problems to real problem solvers, real impact driven people, as you said. And, you know, if I'd been able to do that when I was started in business, I'd be somebody now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So I, I need to give people this context. Herb saying I'll be somebody, right? Uh, uh, Herb, I, I believe it was your wife, Tristine. Um, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. This is pretty awesome feedback. So it's something that I think should be celebrated that I guess um, I heard this through the grapevine, but she told you, man, I, I, I just have seen you grow more in the past year than ever before. Right, correct. Was that the feedback basically? Yes. We've known each other 13 months. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. It took a while to land. Took a while to land. I was like, I don't think that's true. I know their story. That's what's known as a slow roller, Alec. <laughs> Third baseman have a tough time with that. But no, we no, we've been uh, we've been together for eight years now. And you know, we have we enjoy a wonderful relationship. But I mean that was her that that was her observation that she's seen more change in me in the last year than than me trying to do it by myself. And certainly, the, I mean, years. there's a lot of work that you did and other people, even from the company and elsewhere did that contributed in, in many ways. I think sure. it's a blessing from God that makes growth possible. But it was so funny. The way that I heard about that feedback is I guess you had a phone call with another one of our members. Yes. Uh, he's a member of the Orthodox Jewish community, owns an incredible company up there. His name's Simcha Regal. He's a, he's a young guy. He's just, I mean, one of the more passionate entrepreneurs I've ever met. Great guy. Yeah. And just so has such a heart for his business, such a heart for the customers they serve. But he sent me a voice memo and he was like, I I wish I could do his accent, but I can't do his accent. He's like, Alex, oh my gosh, I just got off the phone with Herb. And he was like, this community path for growth is so valuable. He's like, you are not going to believe this, Alex. Herb told me that his wife told him he has grown more in the past year than ever before. And then he says, if someone like Herb Sargent, the poster child of growth, the person that literally exemplifies growth has grown, wow, what could I do? But- I just loved that message so much. I'm trying to figure out who he was talking about. (laughs) Oh gosh. I I love that. 
the sentiment so much because it, I think it draws attention, number one, to how ridiculous it is for you to say, well, I'm just trying to become somebody, right? I think people look up to you. But I think the other thing that I think is so cool is just the community where it's like, we're all at different stages. The stage of business that Simcha is at is radically different than yours. But what's so cool is there's this culture of contribution and mutual benefit right now that's going on that it's like, it seems like everyone, myself included, it's like we're all learning from each other and moving forward. Yeah, it's it's really been for me, uh, you know, on the on the various things that I've been involved with, with Path for Growth. It's been really eye opening because in the general business world, I've been involved in trade associations. I've been involved in you know peer groups. In the general business world, you don't see that desire for contribution that I see in that Path for Growth community, especially as is delivered through the office hours in, in other ways too, but in sometimes outside office hours, like, like Sim Joe and I got together one time before that. And, you know, and I've talked to some other members and sometimes when I had a question, sometimes when they had a question, uh, but it's really, really a great uh, community, great vehicle for growth, which is why you called it path for growth. <laughs> that's right. It was, I mean, I wish I could say it was that intentional. I was like, well, that domain's open and that sounds like a good <laughs> idea. So we'll just go with that. Yeah, but it's worked out really well that way. I think something that stands out to me is on those office hours conversations, which just to give everyone context, those are casual yet intentional conversations that we do twice a week for members of the community. They're really member led. Um, but what's really interesting is the type of conversations, advice, even follow-up questions that really rise or bubble to the top within those sessions, I think are really informed by this idea of impact-driven leader because business looks way different if your only overarching goal is to do things as efficiently as possible or to just make a profit or is to hit a three or five-year goal. It's amazing how... um, things start to change a little bit when you start to say, okay, of course we want and need to make a profit. Of course we want and need to make efficient, but those are not the overarching purpose that we're submitting everything else to. The overarching purpose is to make an impact. And that seems to really influence the tone of the conversation. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely does. And in the fact that the people there are are like-minded that way, uh, which is what you shoot for in your business. You're shooting for the impact-driven leader. And the fact that the people are so like-minded that way and open-minded to to new ways of thinking and new ways of growth and new ways of applying maybe old lessons, I don't know, really makes it such a valuable place to be. And and I, I can just see, you know, there's so many people that I that I see on there. Uh, some come in every week and they have some questions, you know, some thoughts. And some don't that, I mean, they come in, but they, they're there for feedback as much as anything and questions. And the one thing I'd say is, is learning to ask the questions in that framework that that you folks have developed has created a way for me to grow myself, just not to always have the advice, but to try to try to unearth the advice together. Yeah. I think that's a powerful leadership idea, leadership tool that, I think as a community, like we're all learning together and what's neat is we have that opportunity once a week to practice. The, the purpose of this was not to have a commercial for office hours or certainly path for growth, but no, I, I appreciate but it's, it's working. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I just want to mention that it, for me, it's one of the great things that I get from, from that community. Mm, thank you for saying that. The reason why I bring up that term impact driven leader is because, and, and really honestly, we could extend that to impact driven business if I were to think about, man, a short list of the companies that really exemplify what it looks like to be impact driven, I would put the company Sargent, I mean, towards, if not at the top of that list of companies that I've ever worked for. And I think that's because I've gotten to spend enough time with y'all now. We got to spend a full day in a session today. I've gotten to know yeah. so many of your people. I've gotten to know you so well. It's the heartbeat of this place. But what's so cool is that sometimes... 
something like that, the, the desire to make an impact, it starts as a heartbeat and it stays as a heartbeat and it never gets tangible or practical. It never gets beyond hypothetical frou-frou conversation. Yeah. I, I think what y'all have done as well as any company I've ever worked with is, man, you've put some tactical, practical handles to it. But then also what's so cool is y'all are still in the trenches of trying to make purpose, impact, making a difference, come to life in this organization. And so what I really wanted to focus on in this conversation is number one, the heartbeat. What is the purpose? Um, Because you got to start there. But then also, how are y'all like really tangibly dedicating time, resources, energy, manpower to making that purpose come to life? And, And so with that, the first thing that I'd like to start with is Let's start with what is the company's mission? What is the company's why? And why does that purpose matter so much to you as the CEO of the company, Herb? Yeah, so I'll go back uh, about 18 years. We sat down and we tried to figure out, you know, what we stood for. And I'm not saying we didn't have a clue, but we tried to codify it in a way. And I'll, I'll have to give you a little company history when my grandfather started the business in 1926, the tools that he had to work with and the work that he built bear almost no resemblance to the tools we have today and the things that we build. So back then it was just like, I mean, they were turning horse carriages into roads that were capable of carrying a Model T. Yeah. What was the thing you told me about him having more in common? What was that idea that you told me about the other day? So his first, his, his first business was delivering I mean, he was a teenager, was delivering sawdust to area neighbors. Uh, His dad owned a sawmill, so he had access to sawdust. And uh, there was no electricity. There were no cars. There were no radio, TV, right? No cell phone, no internet, not even a fax machine. And so what he did is he went around and peddled sawdust to area, area farms for insulation for their ice boxes. And... Uh, this is, let's say, 10 years after the Orville and Wilbur Wright flew a plane in North Carolina. So no commercial flights anywhere. And my take on it is he had more in common with uh, the day he was born, the society he was born into had more in common with George Washington's society than he did with me the day he died. That is unreal to think about. It, it, on one, in one hand, it just goes to show you how much has changed in 100 years. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, he was, he was caught up in that. Uh, when I say caught up in that, that was, he was, he had tailwinds in his career. You know, there was a lot of building going on. So there was a lot of tailwinds to his career. But back to the question is, is what in all those years, all those 90 years, 95 years, 97 years now, all, everything's changed. The tools have changed. What he builds has changed from what we use now but yet we've survived. And so what has stayed the same in that time? And we reckoned it was the values. And so we set about, you know, codifying those values, our purpose and our values. And we said our purpose is to build and to be faithful stewards of the sergeant legacy. And I didn't insist that sergeant be in there. In fact, I, I didn't want it to be but other people did. And we've gone on since that time to, to really reframe what building means. Building to us means building people. We feel like that's our purpose. And when I say building people, we don't mean building great construction workers. We mean, mean building great people who have great margins of safety in all areas of their life, professionally, relationally, financially, physically, so that when they have a problem, it stays a problem and not a crisis. Mm. So that's what we see as our, as our purpose. Now, those people, we want to build great people that then go on to build great projects and, and deliver those projects in a, in a time and budget capacity that, that is equal or better to anybody else out there doing it. Mm. Is there a story that comes to mind that you think of as really exemplifying that purpose coming to life? Well, I've seen it replicated over and over and over 
in the years that I've been. So I've been, it doesn't seem like it's been this long. <laughs> I've, I've been working for 40 years now, full time. And I've seen it over and over again. And I've seen it come from my grandfather, from my father. I've seen it come from superintendents. But I, I, as an example, I can remember a guy, I was a young foreman. I was like 21 years old. And I had a really high degree of frustration with, with one of my crew members. And I could not get him to do what I wanted him to do. And I went to my superintendent and I said, we need to fire this guy. And he said, okay, what's he doing next? I said, I don't care what he's doing next. We're going to get somebody else here to do this. He says, no, because when you fire him, you're going to be doing his job. But what's he going to do next? Or when you, when you spit him out, where's he going next? And his point was, we've got, we've got to find a way to work with this guy, to find his purpose, to find his value, to find his skills. And, and pick him up from where he is now. And for me, that was, that was a superintendent. So it, the reason I say that, the reason I highlight that is that that wasn't my grandfather, that wasn't my dad, that wasn't my uncle, that was a superintendent. So that had been driven down in the organization for many, many years. The idea that we have to work with people, we can, we can do better with people than the next guy. Because the next company would have just said, you're gone. And that, that was, as a 21-year-old, that was a pretty impactful thing for me to hear. And, you know, so I did work with the guy. And we got along okay. It wasn't great all the time, but we got along okay. That's one example. And, and then, you know, more recently, taking people, uh, uh, Kevin mentioned today in our meeting uh, of one of our young guys, we have Sergeant Construction Academy that we do every year. And we have 10 or 12 immediate high school grads come out. And one guy comes out and he's like, he's not bought into what's got to be done. Right. And, and Kevin works with him and Kevin's such a great teacher. I mean, he's just so level. Uh, Kevin Gordon, I'm talking about. And he's, he and I started laboring together in 1983. Mm -hmm. And he's such a great teacher. And within a few days, this guy has taken on, the role that we need, the, the task that we needed him to do, but he's taken on the role even more. He's taken on the role now as a leader and not just a guy that was complaining about having to do what he was doing. So what, what we're trying to do with these guys is, you know, we call it build a life with us and it's career. We want you to build your career. We want you to build yourself. We want you to build your wealth and the career. It, that probably goes without saying there's a lot that goes into that in terms of teaching skills and leadership, hard and soft skills. But then when it comes to building self, there's a lot more that goes into that. It's financial planning. It's, it's really just understanding. I mean, to some people, even to me, some of the things, some of the principles we uncover are, they seem like they should be obvious, but, you know, just like be respectful, mm. you know, bring value. If you're in a mindset to bring value to people uh, all day at work, you're probably going to be in a mindset to bring value when you go home and mm -hmm. vice versa. And and then the wealth part is is more, that's geared more toward retirement. And so we're an employee-owned company and uh, the people have an opportunity to earn a pretty substantial retirement benefit through employee ownership. But also we have a 401k plan and a profit sharing plan. So we, we really are trying to, to hit all nodes of, of that individual. Hmm. Why is the purpose of building people something that you're personally passionate about, Herb? For me, my dad passed away about three years ago, and he, I found out that he kept a dossier on all us kids. <laughs> wow, gosh. <laughs> and, and this wasn't one that I really wanted to open up. <laughs> but, um, you know, what I read in this thing is that, my dad was betting on a three-legged horse because I didn't, I didn't show there wasn't a lot of evidence that I ought to be invested in, mm. uh, but he did anyways. And the company did anyways. And other people did anyways. I had a little league coach who I still maintain contact with uh, that took time to invest in me. I had superintendents. I had so many different people. I would say an inordinate amount of people for whatever reason 
took the time to mentor me and invest in me. And there's no amount of paying forward I can do to return that. It's like, there's no amount I can do. And when I look at what they stood to get out of it, it was really nothing, you know, except they wanted to see growth. And it's just really returning that. Man, that's, uh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and incredibly powerful. Uh, how does it change the fabric of this place for y'all to have labeled building people is our purpose? That's why we're doing this. Profit, profit is something that's necessary. And even you'll celebrate profit here, right? We just recorded one of y'all's podcasts where you're celebrating the huge jobs you get. You, you celebrate profit a lot, and that's a really good thing. You celebrate employees' stock options going bonkers, right? And and the amount of growth that's been there. But it, it, you'll never get it confused with the purpose. What does it do, like I said, to the landscape, to the fabric of this place, to be so clear on what the purpose is? I think it's part of recognizing profit is necessary, as you as you mentioned. Profit is not oxygen. We don't have to have profit. We can go without profit for a year and still live. We can't go without oxygen for a year and still live, right? So that's not what we want to do. We want to make a profit. What is our oxygen as people? I mean, it's really every company's oxygen, but whether they recognize it that way or not is is different. Um, But we just feel like our oxygen is our people. We cannot live for a year. We cannot live for a day. We cannot live for a minute without having our people. So putting people ahead of the profit is, is the key to us. And I think it's not ignoring profit. It's not ignoring execution and productivity and all those things. It's really the way we look at it is enabling execution and productivity is when we pour into our people, we make them better agents of what we want to accomplish physically, which are the things that society demands of us and putting those people to work in a way and in a framework and with a set of values that really gives them aspiration to do great things. Mm. And at the same time, hopefully all those same ideas come across in all areas of their lives with their families, with their friends, with their communities. And it's, to us, it's just what really buoys and lifts up whole entire families and communities. And it sounds like whenever y'all uh, stepped into the process of labeling what that purpose was and what the values were, I love highlighting this because I think it's so helpful for people to understand. It doesn't sound like you were saying, oh, well, what would be a good purpose? Like, what what should, what do we want to do for the next hundred years? It sounds like you were really asking the question, what are the things that are going on here that are really good? And how would we put language to that so that we can reproduce it? Does that feel like a, a proper description of that? Yeah. You know, I, I guess I, I would say that when we codified our purpose, I'm not, I'm not sure that anyone in the room said we build people. That's, that's our purpose to build people. I think that's a mindset that's migrated since, since we codified that. And I'm glad that it's migrated. And I believe we are, we're alignment. We have good alignment on that, that we, we can't do what we want to do without great people. And I read an article at one point in time, several years ago. And uh, at the bottom of the page, it said, be world-class. It's easier that way. Hmm. And I don't know that we're there, you know, that's where I want to be. That's where I want our people to be. I think that's where our people want to be so that we're world-class. Years ago, we sat down and we wrote down, what do we want to, what do we want to be? And we just, uh, something simple, like no aspiration to this at all. We want to be the best contractor on the planet, right? Why should it be somebody from Abu Dhabi or Arizona or Alaska or anywhere else, but at the time, Stillwater, Maine, it might as well be us. Mm. And the only way we can do that is with great people. Mm. Okay. I'd love to jump into some of the practicality of how this plays out because there's so much that y'all have ingrained into both the culture and the process here 
that really makes this functional in the day-to-day operations of the company. That's really cool. And so let's, let's look at just like a couple of arenas where this plays out. The first one being, I mean, a whole world that we could open up that I know you're deeply passionate about. We'll probably just do a high level today of just kind of the story of how you got into this and any tips you would have for people that are interested in it. But y'all became an ESOP. How long ago? And then also, if you would explain to people what that means. Okay. I have to go a little bit deeper in the history. So our company was started by my grandfather, sold by my dad, my uncle in 1988. Uh, I left the company shortly after in 1991. In 2005, had an opportunity to buy the company back. (laughs) Yeah. And this story is absolutely as absurd as it sounds. And we did a full coverage of it on the first episode that we did with Herb, which we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So we, we bought the, I bought the company back in 2005. I I don't like to use the word I, it was, it was a team effort to make that happen, but I was the sole owner. And as the owner of a business uh, at, at that time, 42 years old, I think I was at some point in time, you have to get out of the business. And it was still, I was still very mindful of when my dad, my uncle sold the business and I, I didn't want to have to go through that again. And so I immediately, as soon as we bought the business, started trying to figure out what the exit was for me. And I don't mean what the exit for me maybe isn't the right word. What's the succession plan for the company is a better way to put it. Mm. So, I mean, my exit's going to take place whether I want it to or not. Right. Yeah. It's there's someday I'm going to be buried. And what's the succession of the company? What are the ways that I can, I can set it up so that it, it, it maximizes sustainability, uh, maximizes uh, stability for employees, maximizes, maximizes benefit for employees. And the best way I could find that was to, to sell the company into employee stock ownership trust. So there are basically four ways you can get out of a construction company. You can sell it outside to somebody, which happened before. And I I mentioned, I want to avoid, you can sell it to people inside the company, but it takes a lot of capital to run a construction company. And most, most employees in a company don't have the kind of capital that is necessary to, to both take on the debt for a company and then operate the company. The third way is to just shut the doors and have an auction. And then the fourth way is, is an employee stock ownership program, which, which is the one we chose. So we chose that 10 years ago. Um, so May 1st, 2013, we became 100% employee owned. Basically, I let the company borrow the money to buy me out. And they pay me off over time. And so that's, that payment is continuing to take place. And uh, sometime within the net, about the next year, I, I will be paid off 100%. And for me, the great benefit was we get to still manage the company. There's not some weird event where the management changes at the same time the ownership changes. So we've got an opportunity to set the company up with the same management. So there's no big disruption there. And then we can work 10 years to get the management succession taken care of. So the, mo- the ownership's done, now the, now the management succession. And what that's meant to our employees has been, you know, for people that have been here since the beginning, since 2010, uh, 2013, for the most part, everyone has got at least about $100,000 in their employee stock ownership plan. And I can remember when, I, when we rolled the plan out, I said, this plan is not intended to be your retirement. This plan is not going to make you rich. What this plan is going to be probably is your bass boat in retirement or your fifth wheel camper. And I can remember a couple of years ago, our stock price has done very well and people are accumulating shares. And a guy texted me and he said, whoa, I'm going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) And it was such a, for me, it was such a gratifying thing to, to, for the people to understand the, the difference it's making in them. And, and that's part of, you know, build, build a life with us. And now we're talking about the wealth piece. 
And again, it's not going to be their retirement. It's not going to be everything they need in retirement, but it's meant to augment their retirement. And I think for some of the people that are starting now, it could, it could mean their entire retirement. Yeah. Which how cool that, well, and it's not even just how cool that this place could play a role in such transformational change or I mean, just something that could have such a huge impact on people's future. But what I think about is so cool that they get to play a role in something that could have such a huge impact in their future. It's like they are employee owners. They actually get to like directly influence the trajectory of this place. And, and each other's trajectory. Mm. That's to me, that's the place that I always try to go is you're not only affecting your own trajectory, you're affecting everyone's trajectory around you. I love it. Sebastian knows and we have podcasts, uh, you know, on our internal podcast and we have people on from Virginia and people on from Northern Maine and they've never met each other, but we get them on and it's like, okay, you guys are bringing value to each other. Like what you're doing in Northern Maine, the, the piece of pipe you put in the ground today has a difference on that guy in North Carolina. And the, the scraper full of dirt that he picked up down there has an impact on the guy in Northern Maine. It's for me, it's just such a, it's, it's almost surreal. Yeah. Sebastian, I didn't tell you I was going to put you on the spot, but it's like, it's a employee owners, right? We get to have an employee in the room. What, uh, what's, I mean, how does it change your approach to the work? I think you said you've been here for two years now, two and a half years. Not even close to that. Okay. I started in February. <laughs> wow, so. Alex, you swing and a miss is what we'd say there. That's all right. Yeah, right. You have the competence of someone that has been here Thank easily. Much, yeah, yes. two, two and a half years. In the, in the deference. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. How, how does it affect you to know that, man, I, I'm a part owner of this place and I get to impact this place's trajectory? Yeah, so. I've been out of high school for almost 10 years now, and I've had a lot of jobs uh, as a dishwasher uh, at Walmart, uh, mowing lawns, which is actually probably my favorite job. Prior to this. Prior to this. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I would say none of those jobs meant nearly as much to me as this one does. And the at the end of this little answer I'm going to give you, my nose is going to be very brown, so... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for prepping us. Well, this is not that. the internal podcast. This yeah. is for people outside the company. <laughs> so what I'll say is that the first week I was here, someone took me out to lunch and said, I hope you're not here to just get a paycheck. I hope you're here to take it seriously and you're affecting a lot of people in this company. Uh, and that was kind of a, a left hook a little bit. I kind of thought that maybe this was just going to be a job that I'd come take pictures and post it online. But I... <laughs> The, the going to job sites and taking pictures of people in the trenches and getting dirty, I feel for them. I, I know that we, you know, equally own this company and I, I look out for their safety and I enjoy talking with them about what and learning what they're doing. And I think that all of us owning the, the company together creates that camaraderie, creates that connection between us that we can, you know, take some time apart on the job site and just talk about what the company means to both of us. Man, uh, there's so much in that answer. That's so good. I appreciate yeah. you. Number one for speaking up, Sebastian, I didn't <laughs> tell you I was going to do that. That's awesome. One of the things that stands out to me is, man, it seems like the larger uh, the company that you walk into. And I found this to be especially true in construction. I don't know if that's me just putting a pattern to something that isn't actually there or if it's actually true, but it seems like the larger a company gets, the more risk there is of it becoming horrendously siloed. And it seems like in construction, especially where I see that play out in a lot of companies that I've coincided with, observed or spent time with owners of, is people in the field and people in the office. And it seems like they're just like always, almost, not even just like operating independent of each other, but like at each other's throats. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you that in the 80s, you know, when I was first came on in, into the company, it was very siloed. And I'm so proud that the team we have in place now, there's a decided vacuum of ego here. And it's all about what can we do for each other? What, what can we do to move the organization ahead? What can we do to move each other ahead? 
and, and people will in, in our company, I'm, I'm, again, I'm just so proud. People in our company will lay their own interests down to advance somebody else. And I've seen it, you know, many, many times. I talk a little bit about Kevin, Kevin Gordon's our workforce advancement director. He was a regional manager that I went to in 2015. And I said, Kevin, we need to start bringing in some people. We need to start training people. We've got, we tended to be an older organization and we had a lot of retirements coming on. And I said, we, we don't need to go hire, you know, 200 people now. We got to bring in about 20 a year and we got to go chisel great young people out of the landscape and bring them in here and breathe into them the values that we have, which are invest in people, do the right thing, hone our craft and win in the field. We need to breathe those values. And there's not a better person to do that. And Kevin took what many would say would be a lesser role, but he took it gladly. To me, that was, he, he made a sacrifice, a personal sacrifice to come in. And I can remember, uh, I was having lunch with him and I said, what do you think about this? And he said, isn't there anybody else that can do it? And I said, if you can tell me who would be better than you, I'll go see them. And he didn't have an answer. Mm. And so he took the job. And as a result now, you know, he's got about, 80 or a hundred young people under his belt that have come into our company and have learned the way that we want to do things, have learned our values, have learned the, the value of work, the value of camaraderie, the value of pouring into each other from Kevin, from now we've got three people on that team. Uh, so we've grown that team from one guy to three in the last few years, Kendall Bickford and, and Pete Perizzo. And those guys all, took different roles and made sacrifices to be in the roles they're in to make a difference. Hmm. And it's, it's something that when I look at and see, you know, I'm just so thankful for them. Gosh, there's so much that I could highlight in that answer. And there's so much that I want to park on within that answer. I, I think you might be a little bit opposed to a seven hour podcast. So I don't know that I'm going to be able to highlight everything that I would like to highlight. Only for people. to the extent we're supposed to have dinner with our wives. Yes, that's right. And I'm looking forward to that. And I don't want to mess that up. I know this wife thing is relatively new to you, but I've been at it for a while. <laughs> and you've heard that, or you know, for a fact that missing dinner is not a good thing to do, huh? Okay, very good. Well, then let's, let's not move on from the ESOP thing just yet, because yep. there's, there's two things within that, that I really want to call attention to. No, Number one, I feel like one of the uh, kind of ancillary principles that I'm taking from this is you're kind of saying it's wise, good, important, healthy for business owners. If you own a business, think about your exit strategy. And not, and not at 60. Okay. So like, when do you think about, like, when would you advise they think about it and how would you advise they think about it? The succession of one's company is nobody ever wants to deal with it. And I think the ownership and the management succession are two different things. I think we often look at it like it's one thing. And I think that's part of what makes it more difficult for business owners. There's a lot of an emotional things that get wrapped around the axle of giving up a business. And I, I would say, you know, if you're going to sell your business to outside if you've got a lot of emotional baggage tied to your business, that's going to be tough. I think you need to start thinking about it in your 40s. I mean, that's what I started at 42. Like the, before we even finished signing the paperwork on buying the company, I was already thinking about how to get out, how to make it work. And that doesn't make me smarter than anybody else. It just, it just made me probably my past made me more aware of it. I was more sensitive because in, in a way, you know, when I was in my twenties, this is going to sound not right, but the company got sold out from under me. Mm. I mean, this company was the only thing that was like the, the only stable thing in my life for my whole life was this company and then it got sold. And I never wanted that to happen to the rest of the people here again. So I knew I had to start early and it takes a while to vet these processes out. It took me five years to find the right advisors. 
to, to affect that transaction. So then we can deal with management succession. And I, th- I think business owners hate to deal with management succession because there's a lot of wild cards involved, potentially. You, you don't really know how things are going to go if you move the company into like inside ownership. I, I, I just think you need to take a lot of time. You need to do it much earlier. I know people in our business, you know, I've got a friend who's, uh, I think, 62. And he called me a couple of years ago. He said, Herb, I told you I'd never die on a bulldozer. He's in the construction business, but he's 62 years old and he doesn't have a plan yet. Mm. And that, that's a really sad place to be. Uh, he's had a great career. He's got a great business, uh, but he's got nothing to do with it. And it's a really sad place for him to be. And I just don't want that for people. I, and this is a really good, if you've got the right culture, it's a really good way to make it happen. Mm. But above all else, what I hope people hear from this is, man, think about this early because I think it also has structural implications and it's going to affect some of your decisions. Like what's the vision you're working towards? That destination is going to influence your decisions in the present. So the earlier you can know what that destination is, at least with a degree of confidence. And then if there's incontrovertible evidence that it's like, oh, we should actually move towards a different destination, then that's fine. But at least ha- aim at something is what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's that's right. And it can make a difference in how you invest in the business too. Mm-hmm. Uh, an employee stock ownership company in the United States in, in does not pay federal taxes. And in most states, it doesn't pay state taxes. So as an employee-owned company, all the profit stays with the company hundred percent versus most, you know, most companies, you know, have to pay some level of taxation to state and federal. And it, it typically is 40 to 50% of the profit. So you get to keep that profit as an employee owned company. And that's part of what pays off the note, for instance, to pay me. Mm-hmm. So when we make money, that's part of what pays me off in the future. It's almost like a, a cost free way to sell the business. Because what used to go to taxes now goes to pay off the, the former owner. Hmm. It can be a really sophisticated process. And if you took, you saw 60 kids come through here today, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and if, if you gave them all Play-Doh and said, make a shape for me, make a snowman, every one of them would be different. And ESOPs are the same way. <laughs> because they can be shaped differently. They can be set up differently. So what I want to be careful of is I don't want to be cavalier about what an ESOP is. I I want to be clear. If I had one piece of advice to give to somebody that was considering how to exit their company, it would be to go to a national center for employee ownership convention or two or three and learn about them. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that goes on at those conventions to uh, to educate people around ESOPs. And so I, I would say, go do that. And, and you can learn whether it's the right thing for you. Very good. Do you have anything, and, and if not, this is totally fine, but any advice like categorically on who like is even of the category of they should consider this in terms of size, stage of business, industry, things like that, or would that be getting too in the weeds, term? I think generally speaking, you know, a, a company of five people would not be a good ESOP company because it's a fairly expensive thing to administer every year. Uh, you know, it's maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year just to just to get the valuation done every year to go to a third party administrator to keep the legal involved, and you have to have a, an outside trustee. Uh, plus, it's better we've we found it be a much better practice to have outside board members that are on our board as well as inside board members, and you, it's likely you're going to have to pay those folks too. So. There is some some scale of a company that needs to be able to absorb those costs. But, you know, I've seen companies as, as few as 20 and as many as you know, Procter & Gamble, for instance, is an ESOP. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are massive, massive ESOPs and there are smaller ones. But to me, I think it's it's more, more a cultural question in what, what the current owner wants to get out. Well, goodness, uh, we are going to be late for dinner if we go more into that question. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so there's a couple things in that that um, I'm really excited about. Actually, one big thing that I'm really excited about 
And that's that we're going to get to dive deeper into this topic in Asheville, North Carolina, because you're going to be joining us the experience, correct? Correct, yeah. I think you and Christine are both coming to North Carolina. I think she's she's going shopping. Yes, <laughs> I get very good at that, which is right up her alley. That sounds like a great yeah, but, time to her. We had a talk the other day. She's like going to Miami and going shopping. <laughs> yeah. and, and and you said, where do you go shopping? Where do you go down there? And she said, oh, I go to Ikea, right? <laughs> because let's be clear, she's going from West Palm down to, to Miami. I'm like, Oh, what are the shops that are in Miami? Ikea. It's going to be such a powerful time. One of the things that's, I mean, you've been to one of our experiences. One of the things that's so cool. It's like, I mean, we really try to design it in such a way that it's like, man, the caliber of people that show up to these things, it's the best part. And, And so we try to create an environment in which everyone is a contributor. And it seems like that really takes place. But then really, this is going to be one of the first times ever we have one of the Path for Growth members uh, have a session and that's going to be your session, Herb. And I know you and I are still working on topics and really I'm working on topics and I owe you a lot of information. So it's coming, but I'm thinking something along the lines of business as a vehicle for developing people because that's just so in the water here. And so, yeah, looking forward to North Carolina. Yeah, I am too. And, and, you know, that one that I went to last year was the first one I've been to mm-hmm. in Nashville. And, and I've been to a lot of seminars in my career, more than I care to count. But that particular experience was what you call an experience. And in so many really, really high growth subjects, you know, that you deliver very well. And Mike Valentin, who you had last year, delivered very well. And he's going to be a tough act to follow. But really, uh, and the people that were in that room were just amazing people, amazing people. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it this year. And, and in some ways, I really enjoyed being, you know, a spectator. So I'm, I probably won't have as good a time this year listening to myself blather on. Game on. Herb's putting his cleats on. This is going to be <laughs> fun. I like it. And and just to be clear, too, when you say it was an experience, you're not saying, whoo, that was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a wonderful experience. I will say that the, the exercise, today, the workout day that, that Nick Carrier put on, literally had me, I could barely walk for four or five days. Yes. So we're, we're going to do something different this year. We are correct? doing something different and I this love year. Nick. He and I have had a few chances to talk. I love Nick, but he, man, he, he put us through a workout. That's right. Yes. We're, we're doing something a little bit more going your own pace this year. And that'll be really good. And I think uh, necessary. So we're looking forward to that, yeah. man, Herb, you're someone that I'm so grateful to have as a part of this community um, and to get to know, I, I, I just consider your company such a hallmark of what it means to be impact driven. And I'm just so grateful, number one, for your, your time here today, both you and Sebastian, but I think even more than that, for the way that you're living out these values and this mission every single day up here in Maine and beyond. So thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, my goodness, I'm so grateful uh, to Herb for his perspective and his investment and more than that, for his example. Uh, He truly is an impact-driven leader and the evidence of that is the caliber of people that he surrounds himself with. Sargent is an organization that does not have one leader with 500 followers. It is an organization that is made up of leaders and that's why I'm so excited for this session that we're going to be doing in Asheville, North Carolina. If you are an impact-driven leader who owns or runs a business and you want to join us at that experience that we're going to be doing in October. All of the details are at pathforgrowth.com. We'll also put the link to that experience in the show notes. Hey, y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.